Hey everybody, Kevin here. Just a brief intro. I hope you like this episode. I'm talking about bias and uh, how it shapes our way of thinking and relating to other people. This episode was originally recorded about a week ago and because I like my comfort more than my greatness, it's now it's been a week and I'm finally finishing it now. So I hope you like this episode. Um, talked about a lot of things. I weighed into this to the murky waters of politics a little bit. And um, but I think bias is a very important issue for everybody and has really come into light today in our in our culture today. So you take care. God bless you. Hope you have a great day and uh, you're at peace wherever you're at today. Happy Feast Day! Today in my world is the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, one of my favorite feast days, or at least my favorite devotion, the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I love the analogy of surrendering all of who we are into his most sacred heart. That's what I really like about it. You know, I understand that the flames is full of his purifying love, that his passionate love, his ravishing heart his heart that ravishes at the single one of my glances from the Bible there. Song of Songs talks about God's passion and love for each one of us. My favorite thing to do when I'm praying with the Sacred Heart is to just picture the things that I'm struggling with or just picture all of my attachments and trying to let them go completely and allow it all to melt into the, his living flames of love. And uh, it's it's not meant to be like a negation of my own character, my own self, but rather just my attachments, letting them all go so that I have no, no holding on to nothing but his sacred heart. So, welcome to the Made for Greatness podcast. Let's unpack this, what it means to be made for greatness. The world offers us comfort, but we were not made for comfort. We were made for greatness, the greatness of God himself, made manifest in his most sacred heart. Gentlemen, today I want to talk about bias. And I've been stewing on this for the past few days, and I, I don't really have any particular scripture verses to share on this issue, but bias and how it affects us in our spiritual lives. What made me think about this is the presidency of Donald Trump and, uh, and just politicians in general. So currently right now it's 2020. And um, whenever you listen to this, if you ever listen to this, I mean, I understand the reality that I'm probably my own guest, or I mean, I am my own guest because I don't have guests technically, but I am my own audience. <laughs> and that's fine. <laughs> that's okay. God, please humble me. Please, Father. Let's start with a prayer in the name of the Father and the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, I beg you to please use this podcast to glorify your name. Show each. Uh, each and every one of the people that might encounter it, your profound love for that person. Thank you, Father. Send down your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. It's 2020. We got Donald Trump. It's an election year for Donald Trump in the United States. I'm in Canada. It's not an election year for our Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. Um, right now, is, there's a bunch of riots and protests and virus going on, a coronavirus made by the, brought to you by the great folks of the Chinese Communist Party. 
Um, so there's all this stuff going on, and it's really made me think about bias and how we allow our bias to go unchecked. And it's so easy for that to happen. It's almost too easy, you know. We human beings are so good at convincing ourselves of a certain thing that that certain thing is the right way to go um, and the only option we might have. You know, we get fixated on certain things, and we it's so easy for us to get lost in the forest. You know, when we're trying to seek a tree. I think that's how the saying goes. And I, I think it's made most profound to us with politics and religion, but politics. These really heartfelt issues and things that we feel so passionate about. Probably more passionate about politics than we are about our own jobs. Um, probably more passionate about politics and religion than we are about maybe even our own family. You know, who knows? Like everybody's a little bit different. And I, and Donald Trump, for example, I think he's very polarizing. You know, he's certainly not um, an easy person to swallow in the sense that he's not a traditional politician. Um, and even at this point, by listening up to this point, you can probably tell just my own tone and my own description of him that I I support his presidency as a Canadian, you know, whatever that means. And and that's partly my point. When I run into people, they either like him or they don't. There's nothing in the middle too much. Not often in the middle. And if you like him, in some cases people um, accept all of who he is and just make explanations and and reasons for whatever he does, whether it's right or wrong. And there's some guys in the middle that are like myself who understand his character flaws but accept them as character flaws because he's the president of the United States. And Justin Trudeau, for his flaws, um, is the Prime Minister of Canada. And I don't have a lot of respect for him, but I want him to succeed. I'm talking about Justin Trudeau. For Donald Trump, you know, I think he's, a, I think he's doing really good stuff for his country. Um, it, it's, and it's shown in his economy. Um, it's shown um, how he's supporting middle America. You know, people over in the flyover states. People who've been neglected from years and years and years of sort of this this career politician type of people. And it's because of those people that Donald Trump is in there. And I think that's an issue that many people forget. Another reason why Donald Trump is in there is because the media has just become so corrupt in itself. They've lost any semblance of actual journalism in general. And there's a lot of really good journalists out there, I have no doubt. Any profession that that is a true profession has good and bad apples by and large and the Canadian media is no different it just seems to be so um, into itself um, that it's forgotten its way to serve the people and almost demands the people to think like them and if people don't think like them then these same people are, are, are deplorable are not worth their time, or just racists and bigots, like really deflammatory language on both sides of the border, throughout the entire world, it's in the West. This is the situation we're in this year. And as far as church politics go, we're right now we're in uh, Pope Francis, is the current Pope. Um, I don't know how long his papacy will last, but as long as he's, he lasts, he's my Pope. Um, and I find that for him too, people are, there's not a whole lot of people in the middle. Um, you know, I, I like to think I'm the middle. I might not be, but I like to think I am. Um, and when I talk to people, most times, when people are willing to talk about it anyway, 
what they talked about was how much he's failed the church. Or on the other end, how awesome he is, how conciliatory he is, how um, loving and charitable and kind he is, you know. But on the other side, these people are saying how awful he is, you know, and just really, really polarizing. For myself, I, I genuinely want him to succeed. I want him to do good for us, the people of God. I want him to glorify God. I want him to be a saint, just like St. John Paul II. But at the same time, I understand that he's not a John Paul II. He's not a Pope Benedict. He's not polished. And sometimes that frustrates me. It's, it, you know, I take it as in stride. It, it is who he is, and he's there. And I just pray for him, and hopefully hopefully, um, he's able to glorify God. And, and um, I pray for the people who don't like him. And, you know, and bias even affects our day-to-day decisions, you know. For example, right now, I'm, I'm, I'm really hungry for men's ministry. And, and not for my own self as well, but also doing something, just making sure that something's done. You know, we've, for, we've had years and years from the feminist resolu- revolution of beating men down, beating them down into the dirt, saying that they're not good enough, that they're toxic, that masculinity is a bad thing. Also, that 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 since sex differences are meaningless, men aren't even needed anymore. You know, it, it's it's really sad, and you don't hear—at least I don't hear—the same rhetoric with women. You know, um, women in their bodies. I get this from Christopher West when he talks about the theology of the body, which is a body of work of um, gathered together teaching from Pope John Paul II. And, and it's a beautiful, beautiful lesson. And so Christopher West expounds on this teaching. And one of the things that I love about it is that how in their body, women become the archetype of humanity where we're called to incubate the word of God himself and give birth to that word um, in our daily lives. So right now, I'm involved in a group called Made for Greatness. And it's the inspiration for this podcast title. And we do monthly events, and I really want to see it happen. And I find that um, we're not getting a lot of traction. We're not really drawing a lot of men into our own group, into our fold. And it's not, and I'm not really one to want a lot of numbers. But when I see this lack of growth, I can't help but wonder, is my own bias for this thing, am I forcing it to happen rather than allowing God to move? And it makes me realize the importance of letting go of my own bias and looking into the root of that bias and what it's based on is, I just turned on the single line, I'm drying, you can't tell, but is my bias based on my own glory, wanting my own self to be glorified, wanting my own name to be recognized? Is that what it's based on? Is my own bias uh, for this thing to continue on month to month or whatever it looks like going forward, is my own bias for wanting it to go forward based on wanting to glorify God for the sake of the other, for the sake of building up his kingdom and making these men saints. is we've been beat down too much. Too much. And we've, we've allowed our own roles to slide and forget exactly what it is, why we were created as male and female and not just female. I mean, certainly the masculine trait of our humanity has to come for something. And I, I absolutely think it does. 
but we've lost that in our culture. We've lost that. Right now there's these riots that the media is playing as protests, and it's just disgusting what they're doing with this. But these riots, are, it's called Black Lives Matter, and organizations like them and Antifa, in my opinion, and with Antifa there is no doubt, but with uh, Black Lives Matter I think there's good people involved, but by and large a lot of them are militant communists, this particularly the people who, who run the show. And the fruit, and the fruit is there. You see it in their activity. Um, they insist that only Black Lives Matter, and within those Black Lives, only certain Black Lives. If you're a Donald Trump supporter, you don't count. If you're Black and support Donald Trump, you don't count. If you're trying to make your own way and do not vote Democrat, even among party lines, your voice doesn't count. Right now, they, all these these riots that are going now are based on an. On a, on a murder of a young man well not a young man but a man named George Floyd that's what started all this stuff and really there's such a powder keg and such a movement towards wanting this to happen um, wanting to destroy everything um, contrary to their own view but towards their own bias I, I think this George Floyd thing was just an excuse for them to act really I mean it's, it's a deplorable thing but black on black crime is kills more black people than than police officers on blacks. You know, black on white crime kills more white people than black people. But they, these stats don't matter to them. So really, this George Floyd person is just an excuse for them to get out there and act and promote their agenda. And it is working. It is working. They're destroying cities. But a part of what they're rallying against is this... I, disaffected uh, or disassociated feeling that they have towards the culture at large. They've been told for years that the world around them hates them, wants them to fail, um, despises them for the color of their skin, for inherent traits. They're told this stuff since they've been young. And their communities don't reflect anything different. Their communities oftentimes where these people are rising out of are very poor, impoverished, um, a lot of drugs, a lot of gang violence, a lot of crime. Um, and the schools are awful, from what I hear anyway. The schools are awful. They don't have a choice often of which school they get to go to. And um, that's because of the government choosing policies for them that have been proven to be detrimental. I mean, right now the Democratic Party of the United States says that they want to stand up for minorities and try to make their lives better. But look at what they've done. They've been in power in some places for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And their communities are worse than they were when they first took power. Their communities are worse. So clearly, there's a disconnect in government, in governance. Clearly, this is not Donald Trump's fault. Clearly, this is not white people's fault. These communities are run by black Democrats, by black men and women. And their, and their communities are, are crumbling and their society is completely, completely torn. Another issue that they're running into is this. Fatherlessness. Fatherlessness. A lot of these young people are growing up in fatherless homes. You know, a lot of these young people it, it, it grow up in fatherless homes um, and then create fatherless homes where they, they're having kids outside of wedlock, outside of marriage. Um, they don't to try and raise these kids outside of marriage they drop out of school sometimes they just drop out of school anyway um, and they don't care for themselves I mean these the, 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 the governance 
that they're under gives them money, why should they work? I mean, it's it's hard. I, I and I'm not mean to say that that social um, that welfare programs are bad, but I think the way they are today, I think they do more harm than good. But men, by and large, have failed our respons- our responsibility to be fathers to these kids. And granted, granted, we've been told that we're awful. You know, we've been told that we don't matter. We've been told that people don't want our voices, that people don't want us around. We've been told these things. And so we're just, we've acquiesced to the situation. We've just bent over and allowed it to rule over us. And it's killing these communities. It's killing them. And I think in general, men in general need to rise up above this muck that we're in. Rise up and stand up and serve the kids in our lives, biological or not, to serve these kids and give them an example of what it means to be a heroic man of virtue that lays his life down in imitation of Jesus Christ who laid his own life down for every single one of us. Yes, a woman can do that, but it is not the same. And men need to rise up. We need to rise and to lay down our lives, to stand in the breach of our castles. What do we mean by that? Medieval warfare. I'm not a historian. (laughs) Like I've said so many times, you want a historian, you want a theologian, you want somebody who's polished, (laughs) go somewhere else. (laughs) Anyway, I'm not a historian. The little that I know of medieval warfare. If there is a breach in the castle walls, the defending army would stand in that breach, that would stand in that gap and never look back. Once you're in that breach, there is no turning back. You will die in that breach or conquer. Now, the thing that I that I find so Um, beautiful and inspiring about this image is this. I stand in that breach and I am called to stand in that breach and die in that breach. It's either die or or conquer. And and, and, and when I look at that, I get scared a little bit. I get intimidated. Gosh, I got to lay down my life? What do you mean? What do you mean I got to lay down my life? You know, just sort of expound on that a little bit. What does that mean to lay down my life? Does that mean I'm physically going to die? Yes, I just burped. Excuse me. Um, does that mean I physically got to die? What does that mean? It means that I give up my, my, my phone. It means that I don't surf the internet in front of my kids and ignore my kids. It means that I exercise, that I be healthy so that I could be with my kids as long as absolutely possible. So that I could be with my wife as long as possible. That I take care of my own body as best as I possibly can. It also means that in laying down my life that I, that I pray that I devote myself to the sacred heart of Jesus and to serve him with all of who I am. Laying down my life serves my family um, monetarily, making sure that they're provided for, making sure that we could pay the bills, making sure that I do the very best in my own job to provide for them financially. Laying down my life also means cleaning the house, cleaning the toilets, washing the dishes, that's what I mean by standing in that gap being a man of virtue a man of valor who does those things without counting the cost to his own self 
You don't want to be a doormat, of course. We're not called to be doormats. I'll get back to the point of bias in a moment here. But these are the issues that are causing these Black Lives Matter issues to be getting worse because men have not risen up to the challenge that we're called to. We have not stood in that gap. And it's not our own fault entirely. Yes, I've made choices. Our, our culture is toxic to masculinity. It's not masculinity that's toxic to our culture. It's the other way around. So with regards to bias in this, Black Lives Matter, people genuinely want the good for others. I really believe that. I really believe that whether you're Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, wherever you fit, whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, people genuinely want the good for the other. It's inherent to our own selves. We are, human beings are inherently good at our very core. How this goodness is played out is different for everybody based on our own life experiences, based on our own test tubes. And I've talked about test tubes in earlier episodes, but I think... On that note, I think all of us are, are at our hearts, our very core scientists, where we, 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 we gather all the data around us into our little test tubes, and we muddle it up so we can have a definition of how the world works around us. And we see things, and we define things through the lens and scope of our test tubes. And so if our test tubes tell us that men are toxic, fine. Men can be toxic. If our test tubes tell us that white people hate black people, then that's all I'm going to see. These test tubes, these test tubes, pardon me, create our own bias. They create our own bias. And they get comfortable. We get comfortable in what's known. We get comfortable in our own bias. And the sad reality is that this comfort this comfort is so detrimental to us. We're not made for that comfort. We're not made for that. We're not made for the comfort of our own bias. We're made for the greatness of the sacred heart of Jesus that's wrapped by thorns and set on fire for love. The comfort of our own bias is so strong whether it's politically, religiously, socially, that we're willing to destroy our own family's relationships based on our own bias. That we're willing to destroy our own relationship and friendship with God himself. The source of our comfort, the source of our, the source of our joy, the source of our peace, the source of love itself, the love that we look for in our day-to-day -day activity we're so comfortable in our bias that we're willing to tear all those things down for the sake of it. And you look at the supper table. How many, how many, since Donald Trump's been elected and since he's been rallying against the establishment in the media and the establishment in government, and I, I don't mean to say that he's doing a great job of it. I, you know, I think I, I, it doesn't matter what I think about this. That's what he's doing. But we get too caught up in it. And we're willing to destroy our families. To call a family member, a son-in-law, a mother-in-law, a daughter, a son, a grandchild, a racist. Homophobic. 
deplorable simply because that family relationship supports Donald Trump or would rather Donald Trump rather than the other guy. How sad is that? But, you know, that might be the most glaring um, issue with bias. But there's another issue is less glaring. It's more hard to see. It's more difficult to see. Is internal bias. Our um, confirmation bias. You know, confirmation bias internally in how God moves and how he ought to act, how we expect him to act. And, and he doesn't, and, and we don't like it when we see him acting outside of our own bias. And, and, by, and in this regard, I'm talking about more comfort again. Because like I said, our bias is really comfortable. It's what we've known. It's what we've known to keep ourselves safe, what we've known to be right now and then. Our bias is very comfortable. The challenge that virtue demands from us is that we rise above our bias. That we rise above that. And we allow God to be God and to move and to surprise us. That's the challenge that virtue presents to us interiorly. One of the many challenges. And I do think it's one of the most important ones. Lost my train of thought. One last note. Bias with regards to God moving in our lives. I want to talk about the miraculous. We live in a culture today, from my perspective, and by that I mean I could be wrong, but I am absolutely convinced it's true. From my perspective, we live in a culture that's biased towards God's miraculous ways that we insist do not happen and have never happened. You know, we've um, we've explained the, away the miraculous of God. We explained away His power. We've explained away His majesty to the point where we don't expect Him to act in miraculous ways anymore. We look at the Bible stories. We look at the the, the Exodus event. You look at how God moved in the lives of the of the Israelites throughout the desert, protecting them from the chariots of Pharaoh with a column of fire and the cloud and parting the Red Sea. We read that today with today's lens and we say, oh, that couldn't have possibly happened. Had to have been a natural phenomenon. Happened to have. Can't be any other explanation for it. I've never seen anything else like that, so therefore it can't exist. Our own bias is getting in our way. And our own bias is stunting the power of God. Stop it. Stop living in this bias. Let go of how you see God moving in your life. Let go of it. Be willing to let go and allow him to move freely in your life. God, please come and move freely in my own life. Father, if you want me to move a physical mountain, then Father, let it be done in your holy name. To glorify you, Lord Jesus, not me. And that, my friends, I really struggle with. I mean, I truly believe that God, if he wants me to move a mountain, he will let me move a mountain. I mean, there's, I mean, I think, 
I don't think he does these things just randomly, but there's got to be a purpose for it. But why not, man? Why not? But, I, you know, I don't think my ego is at that point, just as a side note. And it might be my own bias against myself. I mean, God is so much bigger than my own ego and my own sin. Absolutely. And so it, my wrestling is just the fact that, on one hand, I believe he'll absolutely do it. On the other hand, please, I'm rubbing my greedy fingers together. Give me the attention, please. You know, so may the Lord purify that desire. But may the Lord also purify my own bias that I would be willing to be surprised by his grace. That I'd be willing to allow him to move completely and freely in my own life. That in imitation of St. Margaret Mary and the Sacred Heart, that I'd be willing to allow my bias to melt in the living flames of love of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. To melt like wax in these flames. Because I don't want to limit God. I don't want to limit Him in my own life. You know, in one regard, limiting Him with my activity, my inactivity, of not standing in that breach, of not doing the dishes, not praying daily. It's so important to pray daily, my friends. If you're not doing it, do it. I'm saying this to myself too. Get off your ass and get it done. Pray daily. Daily. More often than that, if you can. More often than that. But at least, at least once a day. One time set aside for prayer. Just to sit there for five minutes even. Five minutes. It takes five minutes to find pornography. Maybe five minutes. It takes five minutes to gossip about somebody somebody else. To make ourselves feel better. It takes five minutes to punch somebody. Takes five minutes to swear at somebody. Take five minutes to praise and glorify God your Father by sitting down in silence and just praying. Lord, come into my heart. I surrender my bias, Lord. Come into my heart. Do that daily. So I think that's everything I wanted to share. I can't think of anything else that I wanted to say other than this bias is is it's 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 poisonous it's toxic you know what bias is is toxic to families toxic to love it's toxic to our spiritual lives it's toxic to virtue and only by the grace of God can we conquer these things that was the other thing I wanted to mention about Into the Breach. Is that, yes, we're called to stand into that breach. And yes, it's intimidating to be there in that breach. Yes, it's hard to stand there. And we're not facing physical combat at this point in our lives. At this point in history, we're not. And it's very much so the opposite. We're extremely comfortable in our own wealth, in our own successes, in our own bias. So it's, so it's scary to think that I've got to stand in this breach and die. You know? But the, the blessing, the thing that I love about this analogy is that I am already more than a conqueror because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. That we are more than conquerors 
because of what Jesus did. So yeah, I might be intimidated by the virtue or the, by, by the work of standing in that gap, by standing in that breach, but there is nothing to be scared of. Nothing to be scared of. Yes, there might be a, a little bit of difficulty physically, mentally, spiritually, but I already am a conqueror before I even get to that breach because of what Jesus did for me. Because he won the grace for me to be this more than a conqueror. He won the grace for me to stand in that gap, to stand in that breach and glorify his holy name through my action. And men, we need to rise up. We need to rise. Enough with this acquiescence to our culture. Enough with this. Stand up and be a man. And there is nothing toxic about that. Glorify God in your bodies. Glorify God in your minds and in your hearts. And in your sex. Your, your masculinity. Be who you're called to be. And glorify God. Let's pray. Mary, our mother, so many of us need your guidance to be a mother, to teach us how to be good sons. God, our Father, please teach us what it means to be a man. Show us by your example, Father, of, of unconditional love, of being willing to give up everything for the sake of the other. Jesus, we love you and we thank you so much for what you've done for us. And I ask you, Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit that you would give me the courage that I need to stand in that breach, to stand in that gap for the sake of my family, for the sake of my brothers, for the sake of my community, and for the sake of my church. Help me to glorify your name as I stand in that gap, as I let go of all my bias, as I allow you to move and surprise me with your grace. So I love you, Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen.